you guys. It's so good to be with you this morning. Also, who's grateful for AC? Hallelujah. Yes. Okay. Well, everybody repeat after me. God, God. To, the to the rescue. This is week five of our uh, series, the Jesus Storybook Bible series, where we are learning about how every scripture Every Bible story, every piece of God's word whispers the name of Jesus. So, um, I, and I have to preface, I'm going to start by telling you right now, get ready, because there's a lot to cover this morning. But I'm so passionate about what we are studying, I couldn't cut anything. So, if you find yourself drooping and dripping off to sleep, I, I invite you to stand up and just jump up and down a little bit, okay? If you feel like you need, Isaac's ready. Yeah, he's like, Let, I gotta get going. Um, I, I wanna tell you this. This is a piece of my personal testimony. It wasn't until I went to Bible college that I understood what the Bible was. And that is not my heart for you. So this series is all about showing you how the Bible is full of continuity and congruence and it fits and it's meaningful to our lives today. Okay. So last week we talked about faith. Abraham was a man who was called by God. And God said, I promise to make you a father of many nations. Even though Abraham was an old man and his wife was barren. And guess what? God did it. And this promise continues to be fulfilled by you and me as we call on the name of Jesus. And through a variety of circumstances, the descendants of Abraham's, they came to be enslaved by a great empire, Egypt. They were hopeless. They were helpless. They were oppressed. Their anguished cries, they rose up to God. And the Bible tells us that God heard their cries and he saw their pain. And this is what he says in Exodus 2.24. God looked down on the people of Israel and knew it was time to act. God to the rescue. Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to read the word of the Lord together. This passage comes to us out of Exodus chapter 6, and we'll read verses 5 through 8. You can be sure that I have heard the groans of the people of Israel who are now slaves to the Egyptians, and I am well aware of my covenant with them. Therefore, say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will free you from your oppression and will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt. I will bring you into the land I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as your very own possession. I am the Lord. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, one of the great themes of the book of Exodus is slavery and oppression. And as I was preparing this message for you, I was reminded of a book that I read uh, last year. It's called The Warmth of Other Suns. I actually have it right here. Fabulous book written by Pulitzer Prize winning author Isabel Wilkerson. I highly recommend it. Um, it details a part of the American journey that I never knew about. 
And I'm wondering if you might say the same thing. So we all know that our country was founded as a slave-holding country. When I was a kid, I learned about the Civil War. I loved Gone with the Wind. Oh, so good, so good. I learned about the Civil War. I learned about Abraham Lincoln and the abolition of slavery in 1865. And I learned about Reconstruction and Jim Crow and Martin Luther King Jr. But I had never heard about America's great migration. Listen to this. Between 1915 and 1975, half a century, 50 years after the abolition of slavery, six million black men, women, and children fled the South. I want to let that sink in. Six million human beings desperate to shake off the yoke of racism and taste the freedom that the highest governing body in the land had promised them. They packed up their few possessions and they escaped the chokehold of a suffocating system that refused to release them into their humanity. Six million black people made the choice to leave the South, to leave tyranny behind, to leave bigotry behind, to leave lynchings behind, to leave behind violence of the most savage kind. Read the book. Thousands of people and their voices are heard in this book. This great migration changed the political and economic landscape of our country. They bought tickets in secret. They rode in sweltering, jam-packed train cars while whites only rows remained empty. They drove through the night, unable to stop for rest because hotel proprietors would not allow black bodies to sully their bedsheets. They mailed themselves in boxes with only a few air holes to breathe. They were delivered in the back of cars in coffins. They had to escape. The government had promised deliverance, but failed to delivery. How did I make it through 13 years of public school and never learn about this? As I read the pages of this book, I wept. I wept for the millions and the lengths that they went to be free. One migrant said this, wish all the colored folks would come up here where you ain't afraid to breathe. I'm gonna take this off. Generations after the 13th and 14th Amendments were passed, this legislation that was supposed to secure for them safety and freedom and justice. This was freedom, the empire's way, the American way, you guys. Laws don't change hearts. Laws don't change minds. Laws don't change broken systems. And humans govern through laws and mandates. I was reminded as I read this book that freedom on human terms is false. It is not freedom. And America is a great empire, isn't it? It's undeniable. Perhaps the greatest empire in the history of the world. Depends on who you ask. Depends on how you define greatness. But this much is certain. 
that America's place on the world stage puts us in a place of peril. We live with a fallacy that must be fought. It is the same invisible fallacy that all peoples who have ever been born into a great empire live with, that we are the good guys. We have done it right. We are founded on the principles of democracy and freedom and Christianity. There is a chronic sense of false nostalgia that threatens to infect us with the deception that America is God's chosen country, glorious, virtuous. We are brought up to believe that the right laws or the right political party or the right leaders can put things right And because of that, we live in a stew of chronic strife because the empire has sold us on a lie, as all empires do. One has only to flip through the history pages of any people group to realize this truth. Without God, human beings do not have the first idea how to be free. Without God, human beings do not have the first idea how to be free. This is the common thread of humanity across generations, time, gender, race, geography, economic class, and political affiliation. As human beings, we are born in shackles, enslaved to the law of sin and death, and we have only a sinful inheritance to look forward to. So we have a choice to make. We can try to escape on our own, Or we can depend on the empire to secure our freedom. Or we can be be delivered by God, our great rescuer. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, you are holy and good, and your righteousness spans the ages. You are a God of freedom, and you are trustworthy. Thank you for your work. Thank you that you are a God who rescues us, who has secured for us a position of righteousness by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that you meet us even now, just like you met those Israelites all those years ago, right there in the middle of their life, right here on earth, you came down. You are present with us. We want to trust you again. Father, help us to go deep with you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Exodus is a book about deliverance, about rescue. It tells the story of how God intervened on behalf of his people to save them from an empire that had enslaved them. It is an advent of sorts, the coming of God down to humanity. Normally, we reserve the word advent for Christmas time when we talk about how Jesus came to earth. But this is advent right in the middle of the Old Testament. God confined himself to a time and to a space and to a specific people group to save them. God to the rescue. Everybody say God to the rescue. And forever after to the people of Israel, the exodus is not just a story. It's not just an isolated event. It is the defining moment for them through which all other events and moments will be seen. The lens, the grid, the worldview, the identifier that set them apart from the rest of the world forever. Even now, the Jewish people, the Exodus event, reminds them always that God's their rescuer. His power forever defined the relationship he would have with his people. 
And that reality and that identity prepared the hearts and minds of every Israelite descendant that would ever come after kings and priests and warriors and prophets and disciples who would one day follow Jesus, by the way. They would come in the generations after knowing that their God was the God who went nose to nose with Pharaoh, the God who parted the Red Sea, the God who walked in a pillar of cloud by day and in a blazing fire by night closely with them, watching over them. Their hearts, the hearts of God's people, would beat with the expectation that no matter what, no matter where, no matter when, God would save them. Every heartbeat. God to the rescue. Does this sound familiar to you? Can you hear the whisper of Jesus? The same promise for deliverance that lived in the hearts of the Israelites lives in you and me today as we put our trust in Jesus. I'm going to read our scripture to us again this morning. You can be sure that I have heard the groans of the people of Israel who are now slaves to the Egyptians, and I am well aware of my covenant with them. Therefore, Moses, say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will free you from your oppression and will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own people. I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt. I will bring you into the land I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as your very own possession. I am the Lord. I've got three observations for you this morning, and then we'll close. The first one is this. The Israelites were subverted by circumstance. Exodus 6.5 tells us, you can be sure that I have heard the groans of the people of Israel who are now slaves to the Egyptians. See, the Israelites were in a very real predicament. They were born into slavery. Their birthright was one of bondage. Their original purpose was to be God's special possession. But instead, they have found themselves to be in possessions of the Egyptian empire. They were subverted by circumstance. Have you ever been subverted by circumstance? I was born into a family that knew nothing of God. My parents divorced when I was three. My alcoholic father disappeared from my life. We were poor. Life was a struggle. I was six years old when I first heard the loud call of the American dream. Get rich and you'll be saved. So for a while, I wanted to be a lawyer. Okay? I didn't know what a lawyer was, but I played the game of life. You guys remember that? You can be a winner at the game of life. Anybody? Anybody? (laughs) Children of the 80s. Okay? I knew that the lawyers made banks, so show me the money. (laughs) Oh, man. To my young mind, money was going to be the answer to all my problems, all my parents' problems, and I became a slave to the love of money. 
And then God intervened in our lives. And you know what? He didn't give us money to fix our problems. No. He gave us a new way of thinking. Romans 12.2 says this. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. That's a hard job, God. Didn't you know there are neuropathways that have been blazing through my brain for 41 years? He knows. He will deliver you with powerful acts and a strong arm. Little by little, God delivered me from this slavery to mammon. Do you know what mammon is? Mammon is the God of money. And America worships the God of mammon. We have been born worshiping at the altar of mammon subverted by circumstance, believing in the innate power of money, or here's another word for it, economy. But belief in money is enslavement, bondage, chains. I have a quote for you by one of my favorite teachers. Here's what he says. Every generation must discern the false hopes that are offered by the empire. It was Isaac. He said it. Smart man. I'm going to say that again. Every generation must discern the false hopes that are offered by the empire. And I think it's reasonable to discern that money is one such false hope. Our culture is obsessed with money, with making money, with buying stuff, with bigger houses and nicer cars and the best iPhone. Money is a carrot that's been dang. It's like we, should, we shouldn't have mobiles over cribs. We should have mobiles like, with carrots dangling over them. The carrot is money dangling out in front of us. The hope of economic prosperity is intrinsic to the American way. But it is false, my friends. It is bondage from the enemy. We need God to change the way we think, to deliver us from slavery. We need God to rescue us. I recently went to Costco to get a watermelon. No watermelons. That happened three times. I went to Winco to get some corn. Guess what? No corn. I went to the Dollar Tree to get candy for a movie. Here's what I saw. What on earth is happening? Right? Gas prices are high. Did you know inflation is up 9%? You're feeling it. I'm feeling it. Credit card debt is up 13%. Did you know that the total household debt for an American for the American people is 16 trillion dollars? There's so many zeros I can't even wrap my brain around it. And the credit card debt held by all the households in our country is 890 billion dollars. What? We are in a season where the lie of economic prosperity is being exposed. Thank you Jesus. Fear is setting in, though, isn't it? It's a lie of the empire to believe that money or stuff or jobs or security or retirement accounts are the pathway to freedom. Make no mistake. Like the Israelites, we are all born slaves. We have been subverted by circumstance. But this is the good news. Jesus came to set the captives free. The same God that miraculously parted the Red Sea for the Israelites to deliver them from slavery to Pharaoh is the same God that sent his one and only son to deliver us from slavery to sin. God to the rescue. 
All right, the second observation I'll make is this. God had an agenda. God had an agenda. I'm not going to get into the complex theology of God's sovereignty and human free will and how all that works together. That's another message for another time. This morning, we're just going to take the text at its face value, and here's what we can see. God showed up, and he had something to say about what he was going to do. And he said it with two words. I will. And he says it seven times. I think that means we need to pay attention. I will free you. I will rescue you. I will redeem you. I will claim you. I will be your God. I will bring you. I will give to you. The promise in each of these statements is profound. Freedom, rescue, redemption, belonging, identity, deliverance, provision. All of this God promised to his impoverished, shackled people while they were still slaves. God delivered them. A whisper of Jesus blows so profoundly through this passage. Do you hear it? Romans 5, 6. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. John 10. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. John 1.13, to all who believed in him, who is Jesus, and who accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Can you hear him claiming you? Romans 10.13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom Christ has set you free. I could go on. The agenda of God is for our freedom in every way. This is the work of God. This is the work of our redeeming heavenly father. He wills it. I will, he says. Interesting. God said, I will. I will. His promise was in direct contrast to the empire which said, you do. You work. Work until your hands are bleeding. Work day and night. Work without the supplies you need. Make your children work and work and work or else. The Israelites were born broken and beaten by their slave master, the tyrant Pharaoh. If only it were so obvious to us how we bow and bleed at the hands of an empire that says work. Instead, the American dream feeds us an insidious, quiet lie in the most palatable way possible. You can be anything you want to be. You can do anything you want to do. If you work hard enough for it, it will be yours. When I was young, I idolized a singer. Her name was Debbie Gibson. Any Debbie Gibson fans in the room? I get lost 
in your eyes. You guys remember that song? Oh, so good. <laughs> Sorry, I had to go back for a minute. <laughs> you, Isaac's asking me to serenade him with that song now. Um, I wanted to be Debbie Gibson, okay? She was my first concert. She was so pretty. She was so cool. She was like 16 years old when she skyrocketed to fame. She was rich, she was famous, and at the tender age of seven years old, I knew I wanted to be rich and famous too. And America has produced hundreds more Debbie Gibson since 1987. You know their names, actors and athletes and YouTubers and influencers. They parade around in front of us, in front of our children, and in front of our children's children, a mirage of fictitious possibility that obstructs our ability to pursue real identity and real purpose. It's fake. I'm pointing to the youth because you guys still have time. We're all a mess over here, but you're still, you're still good. It's fake. It's a fantasy. The empire is actually ruled by a liar that we cannot see. We talked about this a few weeks ago. The devil, he loves to see us chasing fantasies and working ourselves to the bone. He knows that in this frenzied state, we cannot possibly experience the freedom and provision and identity that our gracious, generous, heavenly father holds out to us for free. He knows that we cannot know a God that says rest throughout the pages of scripture. It is there, rest. And we cannot know it if we don't read it, if we don't have time to read it. God wants his agenda to prevail in our life. He wants us to chase what's worth chasing and to embrace the humble identity we have in him as sons and daughters. He wants us to live free from lies and in the light of his truth. That is his agenda for our lives. And he has done the work already on our behalf through Jesus Christ, his son. God to the rescue. Everybody say God. To the rescue. The Israelites were slaves and we're slaves too. God had an agenda, a plan to rescue them, and he has that for us too. The third observation I'll make this morning is this. God wants his people to know him. And he went to great lengths to make that possible. Exodus 6-7. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt. Then you will know. Eight times in Exodus chapters 7 through 11, God says in one form or another, then you will know that I am the Lord. He says it to Pharaoh. He says it to the Egyptians. He says it to his own chosen people, the Israelites. His intention is the gentle whisper of Jesus that calls softly to us through the Exodus narrative. God's statement to Pharaoh in Exodus 9.16 clarifies this even further. Here's what he says. He says this to Pharaoh himself, but I have spared you for a purpose. In the previous verse, he basically says, I could have squashed you like a bug. I could kill you with my thumb. <laughs> I spared you, Pharaoh, for a purpose, to show you my power and to spread my fame throughout the earth. God's purpose and plan was to reveal himself, not just to Pharaoh, not just to the Egyptians, not just to the Israelites, but to us, 
To all peoples throughout the earth, God's intention was to be known, to reveal himself through redemptive action on earth. God to the rescue. And his intention is still to be known. And he still reveals himself to us fully through his son, Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.15 says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. Christ's life, death, and resurrection is the ultimate I will of God. God can be fully known to us through his son and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Last week, um, our high schoolers came back from camp, and we had some testimonies up here. And I love what Natalia Godwin shared with us that she learned at camp. She said, if you want to hear the voice of God, you have to be saturated in his word, which is the Bible. The whole of scripture is God revealing himself to us. The most central, basic part of God's rescue plan for all of humanity is that we would know him. John 8.32, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth, and the truth will what? He also said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The foremost biblical example I can think of somebody who, who knew God was Paul. Paul, the Apostle Paul. <laughs> he was a successful man. Did you know that? He was on his way. He was rising through the ranks of the Jewish elite. He had a golden road paved out in front of him. And then the resurrection of Jesus happened. And this band of Jesus followers started messing with his life. So he began persecuting him. And by the way, he was fully funded. The people of power gave him money to kill Christians. And Jesus showed up to him. Acts 9, look it up. It's amazing. The, world, the worldly gains that were his for the taking became utterly ridiculous to him. And he lived the rest of his days preaching Christ. And while languishing in a jail cell, here's what he said. Philippians 3, 7 through 9. I once thought all these things, money, stature, birth, rank. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. Have you heard that song by Graham Kendrick? <sighs> knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, there is no greater thing. You're my all, you're the best. You're my joy, my righteousness, and I love you, Lord. Knowing Jesus, the matchless name of Jesus. It's all Paul wanted. It's based right out of that scripture. I confess to you all right now that I haven't gotten there yet. 
Garbage, Paul? Really? I want to go to the Bahamas one day. I want to go to Rome. I have some friends that just traveled to, to Europe, and they did this amazing Mediterranean cruise. That doesn't seem like garbage to me. I haven't gotten there yet, but I've glimpsed it. I've tasted it. I want to get there. I want to be so filled with the knowledge of who God was, is, and will be long after I am gone that in comparison, all other things are worthless. The more that I know God, the more that I know his word, the more that I follow his son Jesus, the more this feels possible. But our culture... It steers us away from the pursuit of knowing God by telling us lies like, there is no God. (laughs) It's silly to believe in what you cannot see. Or, all religious forms and expressions are equally valid. In other words, you have your truth, I have mine. It's all good. Or here's one, and this one is big. God needs the empire in order to bring his kingdom about here on earth. If we could just make America Christian again. But guess what? Jesus didn't come as Caesar. He didn't come in power. He was born a little baby, born into obscurity with nothing. He was poor his whole life. He didn't even have a house. We need to be careful. When we believe the lie that God needs America to be Christian in order to bring the world to Jesus, then we are not believing in the supremacy of Christ. We are bowing to an idol, enslaved to a false hope, to a false God, to the empire. Listen to what Paul told the people of Athens uh, about God in Acts chapter 17. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. And since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. And human hands can't serve his needs, for he doesn't have any needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. David said this in Psalm 33, The Lord frustrates the plans of the nations and thwarts all their schemes. But the Lord's plans stand firm forever. His intentions shall never be shaken. We need to be very careful to think that God needs us. He includes us, to be sure. He chooses to, not because he needs to. And we need to embrace the mystery of God. Stop thinking that we have God all figured out. His good news supersedes every race, tribe, and tongue. American supremacy is a lie. Christ is supreme. Christ alone. The Exodus event reminds us that God can and will be known. His fame has already spread throughout the earth. And just as God rescued the Israelites from the hands of Pharaoh, so God desires to rescue us into the freedom that only comes from knowing him. Freedom from lies. Freedom from sin. Freedom from allegiance to any other power other than God's power. God to the rescue. So I want to end by revisiting that statement by that really, really smart theologian, Isaac Hovitt. Dashing. Dashing, Debonair. 
tall, blonde, Norwegian. <laughs> I get lost in your eyes, baby. <laughs> Every generation must discern the false hopes that are being offered by the empire. So here's a question for you. What false hopes are you believing? Is it money? Hey, you're not alone. Creating identity through your work? Are you a workaholic? Trusting the false systems of this world to prop up your faith? Like if you cannot imagine what it would be like if Christian values were not on the forefront of the agenda of, of the next political cycle. That's an indication of where your heart at is at in terms of hope in the empire. How are you allowing God to change the way you think? He promises he'll do it. We just have to be available. Um, I've got a resource for you. You might want to write it down if you're interested. There's a book called Live No Lies by John Mark Homer. And I'm reading it right now. I'm like five chapters in. It's so good. So like readable. And he just does a really good job of outlining what it is to be caught in lies and how that affects our lives. Number two. Have you been subverted by circumstance? I think maybe all of us in this room, but you're here. You have a testimony of how God intersected your life. Share it with somebody. Refresh your soul by remembering God's goodness and his work in your life. Number three. Here's, here's my third question. How do you prioritize knowing God in your daily life? Now, this might be a call back to daily devotions for some of you. And I believe that if you were to read just one verse a day, it would change your life. I, I believe that God's word is that powerful. If you don't know where to start, Proverbs. Wisdom. Wisdom that goes beyond time and place and space. It's amazing. I'm, I'm doing a plan right now that the last chapter of the Bible that I read every day is a, a chapter out of the book of Proverbs. It just sinks in. It's amazing. If you want to know more about the work of Christ, read the book of John. Read it over and over. Read it 10 times this year. Become familiar with Jesus. Remember, he is the visible image of the invisible God. Um, I just finished the book of James a few weeks ago. <laughs> Every verse is so good. You cannot help but be convicted when you read the book of James. Read it. Also, guys, and this is a point of vulnerability for you. I was just sharing with my friend Ashley this week. Um, I have been called back to prayer. You know, we had Gary Bolton from Ireland last week. He came and visited and shared with us. He is a man of prayer. And I pray. I do. I pray every day. I write prayers. I, you know, quietly pray. But I just decided I'm going to start praying. Set a timer for 10 minutes and pray out loud in an empty room. It feels weird really does when you're not with other people. But man, I think I'm like four days in. So much breakthrough. That's my, that's my next step. What is your next step? And number four, are you in need of God's rescue now? God's provision met the Israelites right in the middle of their very real circumstances. He's not aloof to our predicaments here on earth. He wants to intervene. I think the hardest thing is we don't always like the way he does. We'd rather he do it differently. But he's not a genie. You know, he, he's not here to grant us three wishes. He, he actually wants to meet us and he has a plan in that for us. He wants to meet you right where you're at. 
At the end of service, there'll be an opportunity for prayer, and I would invite you to come up and pray. Or if you need to schedule some time with one of the pastors on staff, we'd love to sit and meet with you and discover what God is up to in your life with you if you're having a hard time with that.